You know, a lot of people have different opinions on what makes a good ending. The good ending to a book, the good ending to a TV show, a good ending to a film. Some people, maybe you're like this, they love a twist, a little plot twist right at the end that you didn't see coming, and it flips the whole story on its head. Some people like cliffhangers. I know that uh, TV shows, they rely on cliffhangers to keep you watching, right? That's why we Netflix binge, because the show ends, and it's a cliffhanger. We're like, I got to watch the next episode, and then it's 3 in the morning. You're like, what am I doing, right? Those sort of endings. Some people love the endings to be neat and tidy. How many of you are like that? You want a happily ever after type ending. You don't want a messy ending. You want Life is messy enough. You need the ending of your movie to wrap up nice and clean. And then some people don't mind a confusing sort of open-ended ending where it's left to the viewer to decide what happens next. We're at the end of the book of James, 11 weeks we've been on this journey, and here we are at the end. And when you get to the end of this letter, it's very different from other New Testament letters. The other authors in the New Testament, guys like Paul and, and, and Peter and John, when they get to their end of their letters, they give it a proper ending. They kind of sign off. They, they give some final advice. They, they might name a few people, and then they always do some sort of closing benediction like grace and peace be with you. But James just sort of ends. He just kind of goes to the end, and then it's over. And when I was studying this passage, I was like, I don't really like the end of James' book because it doesn't wrap things up. In fact, in these final verses, he introduces new material, which is very out of step with how they used to write letters back then. But as this week developed and escalated, and it escalated quickly, I became clear to me this was the perfect passage for us to be in this morning. And God knew. And so we're in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And let's read this together. I'll be reading to you from the ESV. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like you and I. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Now, this was a punishment against an evil king and an evil nation, just so you know the context. And then in verse 18, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And then James is just like, peace out. I'm done. That's all I got to say. What are we going to learn this morning from this text? Well, we're going to learn some things about prayer, about prayer. And if there's anything we should be right now as a church, we should be praying. We should be a praying people. We should be praying for our government leaders who have difficult decisions to make, right? We should be praying for those who work in hospitals and are treating the sick. We should be praying for those in our society who are especially vulnerable to the virus that we're battling as a world right now. We need to pray. Before we worry, before we wring our hands, before we even have conversations with one another, sharing our opinions and our most recent discovery and the most recent article we read online, which is all fine, we need to pray. What do we need to do when we pray? And there's three things James teaches us here, three things we need when we pray. And the first thing we need is in order to pray, we need to see needs. 
we need to see needs. James starts by saying, is there anyone suffering? Is there anyone cheerful? Is there anyone sick? And that Greek word sick, by the way, doesn't just refer to physical sickness. It can be emotional sickness, mental sickness. It can be spiritual weakness and sickness. It's a very broad term James uses. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? Is anyone wandering? You know what James is doing, I think? He is giving us a view of the church body. Because every time the church gathers, there's people in the room who fit into one of these four categories, right? There are people who are suffering. There are people who are cheerful. There are people who are sick. And there are people that should be here. They're not here. Why? Because they're wandering. And James is saying, do you see the needs? When you come to Trinity on a Sunday morning, are you connected well enough to know the people in the room to know whether or not they're suffering or whether or not they're cheerful, whether they're sick, or who's not here and is wandering? Do you see these people? James is saying, if you're going to pray, you need to see needs. And there's two things that we have to do if we're going to see needs. Number one, it's very simple, we have to show up. We have to show up. Now, listen, I realize that today, more than any other Sunday, there's good reasons not to show up. A lot of people didn't show up for good reasons. There's good reasons. Health, um, concerns for people that they're caring for, I get all of that. Some people can't show up on Sundays regularly because they work. They're, specifically, we have doctors in our church who work a lot of Sundays. We understand that. that that's, that's what they're doing. Some, may, some Sundays maybe you can't show up because you have the opportunity to serve out in the community in a way that expands the kingdom of God and extends his mission. That's, those are good reasons. There are good reasons not to show up. There's also, as you probably know, plenty of bad reasons not to show up. Lazy, tired, don't feel like it. Or here's, here's a really bad reason. I don't need other people. I just need me and God. I don't need this. I, I'm strong on my own. And, and there is this lie in our society that you're stronger if you can go it alone. But the truth is, is that at the end of people's lives, those who are really struggling and losing the will to live, it's not because they have too much community. It's not because they've shared their burden. It's because they've tried to go it alone. Another bad reason is I just want to personally select the people that are in my spiritual life. And I want to have a specifically selected group of people who are like me, think like me, they look like me, they act like me. And you can do that, but you have, what you have on your hands is a club, not the church. The church is always going to be people who are suffering, cheerful, sick, and wandering all at the same time, all at the same time. And by the way, there's not just good reasons to not show up and bad reasons. There's lots of sort of middle-of-the-road reasons not to show up, sort of gray areas. And be careful with those because I've learned that people begin to use those reasons to not show up, and eventually they establish a pattern of not showing up. And if you don't show up, you can't see needs. Secondly, after you've showed up, there's something else you need to do. You need to look around. You need to see other people. One of the surest signs of spiritual maturity in a Christian that I look for is that when they do show up, when we do gather, they're not so much focused on getting the blessing for themselves, although there is a blessing for you, but they're really primarily focused on blessing other people. They look, who can I encourage this morning? Who can I speak life over? Who can I pray for? In what way can I defer my preferences so that other people's needs can be met? Many of you do this practically just by serving on Sunday mornings. It would be easier for you just to show up and enjoy the service, but many of you, you clean, uh, you, 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 you're an usher, you're a greeter, you do all sorts of things, you work in the cafe. That's one way that we say, you know, I'm not showing up just for myself, I'm showing up to bless other people. Thank you for those of you who do that. Show up, look around, take the time to lean in and listen. Here, 
Being part of the church means entering into other people's lives in all seasons of life, including the season we're in right now. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that the church, here's what we do. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And there are people in our church body at all times who are rejoicing, and there are people in our church family who are at all times weeping. And if you're going to show up and look around and be a part of the church, you're going to find this about your life. You're always going to be rejoicing and weeping at the same time. Because there's going to be people that you love that are rejoicing, and you're going to rejoice with them. And there's people who are going to be weeping, and you're going to weep with them. And what that means for us right now is that there's plenty of reasons still to rejoice, right? We haven't lost our greatest reason for rejoicing, Jesus Christ the work of the cross, the empty tomb. But there are real reasons to weep right now. And we should weep. We should weep with other nations who are ahead of, who have suffered tremendously. We should weep for those who are suffering in our own country. It's okay to weep with those. Those are not two different things. Some Christians are saying, no, I'm going to ignore what's happening and I'm just going to rejoice. And some Christians are saying, I'm losing my joy and I'm just going to weep. And in this day, what's happening right now, James's words are very important to us. And what Paul says in Romans is very important to us. You, re, you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you weep with those who weep. And as Christians, we learn to do both at the same time. Yeah, I know it's, many people think, well, it's way easier to go alone with my faith. It's, it's less risk of the messiness of getting my feelings hurt. It's way more convenient if I just choose who I hang out with and who I don't hang out with. But that's also way less than what God's called you to, way less than what he's called us to be. And in the opening verse, when James says, if you are suffering, pray, and if you are cheerful, praise God, here's what James is doing. He's confronting two of the most prevalent universal human tendencies we have, which is when we suffer, we turn away from God, and when we succeed, we forget God. And James is saying, neither is an option to the believer. When you suffer, don't turn against God, don't turn towards self-pity, towards blame, towards complaining, towards hate turn towards God, not from God. But when you're succeeding, praise him. If you're cheerful, give him the praise and the glory. Don't forget him. This is important for us. In our suffering and things that are happening in our world today, we cannot turn from God. We must turn to God. But if our country does better than other countries, we must give God praise for that. If we're healthy, we give God praise for that. Don't forget God in your health and then only run to him in your sickness. But in your sickness, turn to God and in your health, give him praise. And that's what James is saying. And in the next verse, he says, if you are sick, ask other people to come pray for you. And here he's confronting another human tendency, which is to isolate ourselves in our pain. And so James is saying, yes, pray for yourself, but also invite other people to pray for you. Show up, look around, see needs, then pray. The second thing that James teaches in this text that we need, we need to see needs, but we also need to have faith. We need to have faith. He talks about the prayer of faith, deep belief. And right now, we need to pray with faith, trusting God and asking God to help us and to have mercy on us and to give us direction and wisdom. But I think faith isn't always what we think it is because there's certain circles of Christianity that have taken faith and made it into something it really isn't biblically. So I want to give you three quick uh, principles about faith, okay? The first one is this. Faith isn't something you can give yourself. Only God can give us faith, okay? Faith is not something you can give yourself. You cannot manufacture faith. You cannot bear down and work up faith. The scriptures clearly teach faith is a gift from God. So what do we do in this season right now that we're in? We pray to God, God, would you give me faith to believe? 
and to trust you. Fill my heart not with fear but with faith because God gives us faith. Faith isn't something we give ourselves. It's something that God gives to us. Number two, faith, listen to this, faith isn't relying upon a formula. It's trusting in a person. It's not relying upon a formula. It's trusting in a person because formulas are impersonal. If you give me a formula to do something, I don't need the relationship with you because you've given me the formula. But God's not interested in giving us formulas that we can do right to get our way. God is interested in inviting us into a relationship with a person. And so this passage in James chapter 5, some people think this is a formula to get healed. If you do X, Y, and Z, it guarantees healing. That's not what James has given us here. It's not a formula to be healed. It's a pattern for prayer, and we should do this faithfully. But it's not a formula. It's not a guarantee. God's not calling us into that. He's calling us into a relationship to trust in a person. And then thirdly, faith in the Bible isn't about getting my way. It's about trusting his ways. It's not about getting my way, what I want. It's about trusting God's way. So, in summary, this teaching on prayer is not, here's how you can work up enough faith, and here's how you can use the right formula, and here's how you can get your way. It's something much more deep than that. But it is interesting because James does provide us with a pattern of prayer, three things we should do when we're sick. Number one, ask for prayer. I love this because James is saying there are people so prideful, so isolated, so self-sufficient that they actually need to be instructed to ask people to pray for them. It's a sign of humility to say, would you pray for me? That's what James is saying. Be humble. Ask for prayer. Number two, he says, gather the elders. And what this simply means is call people who have faith and, and leaders and people who can can, can pray powerfully over you. And then the third thing he says is this, have them lay hands on you and pray for you and anoint you with oil. Now let me talk to you about oil for just a moment. This oil is not magical. This oil does not heal us. This oil, back then, it had medicinal purposes. And even today, of course, essential oils is sort of back and bigger than ever and it has medicinal purposes. People use it for that. But James is not talking about medicinal purposes. He's not talking about magical. He's not talking about sacramental. James is talking about symbolic. What does the oil symbolize? The oil symbolizes the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here, here's, the, here's the way people get this text wrong. They think, okay, if I pray for someone, if I lay hands on them, and if I anoint them with oils, if I do everything right, then they will be healed. But the whole point of saying anoint people with oil is to remind you and me that the healing comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from us. I'm not a healer. You are not a healer. The Holy Spirit of God is the healer, and he uses us at times to lay hands on people and for them to experience healing. And we give thanks to God for that. And that's what, that's what James is teaching us about here. That's why he says, you anoint in the name of the Lord. You don't anoint in your own name. Oh, God, I anoint this person in the name of Pastor David. What a, me- what a mess. <laughs> you don't want to be anointed in my name. I anoint this person in the name of the Lord because he is our healer. Now, whenever we talk about healing, it has to be noted that not everyone is healed the way we wish they were healed. How many of you have prayed for somebody to be healed and they did not receive the healing that you had prayed for them? That that happens, and there's a lot of reasons why, and that's not the point of this message, but there's lots of reasons why we don't all receive the healing that we want or that we think that we need or deserve. And there's scriptures in the New Testament where Paul himself had this thorn in the flesh that he asked God to heal him of, and, and God didn't. There's people that Paul left on his missionary journey because they were sick. They were not healed. He had to leave them. The New Testament talks about a sickness that leads to death. So not all are healed, but I do think there's a way that God heals us. or I think there's four ways that God heals people. I want to share these with you because I think healing is broader than we often think of. So I think the first way 
that God heals us is simply by the way he created our bodies, our immunity systems, our immune systems. The fact that we can fight, the fact that according to what we're currently hearing, 80% of people can fight this virus off without any medical intervention, that glory goes to God because he created our bodies that way. And so if you're healthy, young, and strong, and able to fight this thing off on your own, that's not you. That's not you. You didn't give yourself that ability. You didn't install yourself with your immune system. You didn't create yourself that way. God created you that way. So if you're healthy and you're able to recover from normal sickness or this virus that's going around, then give God praise and glory because that's that's one way that he heals us through the way he made us. Okay? Secondly, God at times will heal us through medicine and the wisdom of doctors and nurses and surgeons. And we have so many people in our church who are serving in hospitals, and we pray for them, and we give thanks to God for them. And you know what? One of the things we should all be praying for is that the people who are currently working on medicine to address this virus, that God would give them supernatural wisdom and insight that they can create a drug or an immunization or something that will help stop the spread of this. And if that happens, and I believe that eventually it will, that's just a guess, it's not scientific um, information, I think it will, when and if that happens, who do we give glory to? The scientists? We give glory to God. Because he put the material in the earth for us to use, first off. He gave them the mind, the wisdom, the insight, the brilliance to figure this out. So even that sort of healing is a gift from God. So if you go and you have a surgery and you recover from your surgery, yes, thank God for the gift of the surgeon, but give all the glory to God. It's another way he heals us. Third way that he heals us is the way that we often think about, supernatural healing when God's kingdom just breaks in on ours and he just removes tumors from people and he removes sick cells and he lengthens legs and he opens eyes and all the things that Jesus did, we believe God still does. We don't always see it. We don't always understand why we don't see it, but that is a way that we believe God still heals. And until someone takes their last breath, that's how we pray for them, that God would heal them and raise them up. And then the fourth way that God heals us, and this gets me personally excited, is that someday he's gonna heal us all. When we walk into his presence, according to Revelation 21, there's no more sickness, there's no more disease, there's no more death. Every single one of us who trust and believe in Jesus Christ will live in perfect health in eternity forever and ever. So in a sense, we will all be healed. We don't always see that healing on this side of eternity. And we learn to trust God in that. And James is talking to us here in this text, not just about physical healing, but about spiritual healing. Because, you know, if your body is physically healed, but your heart's not spiritually healed, then what good really is that? We need our hearts to be healed. And James talks about the power of confession. Now, we don't believe in our church that you have to confess to God through another individual. We believe that Jesus is our great high priest. And so we come before the Father praying in Jesus' name. You can pray to Jesus directly because he is now the great high priest. That's what we teach and believe from Scripture. So we don't have to confess sins to someone else to receive forgiveness. But James is saying there's times where you may have sinned against somebody or you may need to bring accountability into your life and you may need to confess your sin, not usually to everybody, but to someone who loves you, who cares about you, who is discipling you, who walks with you. And there's power in the confession of sin. And it helps us to grow. But then James also says, If there's anyone wandering, remember they're suffering, cheerful, sick, and wandering. Those who are wandering, he says, go after them because they need spiritual healing. And all of us in this room, we know people who are wandering, right? You all know somebody who used to love Jesus more than they love and serve him today. What is our part? We go after them. We fight for them. We become instruments of God's grace, tools in his hands. You and I cannot cover their sins. We cannot forgive their sins. We cannot change their hearts. But God often will use us 
to do his work in them. And I've talked with enough for you to know that you have family members, you have friends, you have co-workers that are a heavy burden on your heart. And I just want you to know that God wants to use you to chase them down, to find them, and to fight for them, and to bring back those who are wandering so that they will experience the forgiveness of God and the gift of the community of saints. And just like only the Holy Spirit can heal our bodies, only the Holy Spirit can heal our hearts. And so it's not you and I, it's the work of the Spirit. We need to pray with faith in what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay, so last point. Number one, we need to see needs. Number two, we need to have faith. And then number three, we need to be righteous. We need to be righteous. This is a big one. James said it's the prayer of the righteous person that's powerful and effective. What does righteous mean? When you hear the word righteous, maybe you think somebody who lives good, who doesn't break the rules, who behaves. And that's a form of righteousness, but that's not the righteousness that the Bible is talking about. What the Bible is talking about is way harder than any of that, as hard as that is. What the Bible is talking about when it talks about righteousness here is right standing in the eyes of God, our judge. Legally declared righteous before God. Here's how I remember it. Three words that all start with the letter A. Maybe this will help you. If you're righteous, it means this. You have the approval of God. Approval. He approves of you. Number two, you have the acceptance of God. He's welcomed you into his family adopted you in, and number three, you have access to God. Righteousness means I have the approval of God, I have the acceptance of my Father, and I have access. And if you think about your life, every pursuit every person is on is after one of those three things on some level. The approval of somebody, the acceptance of somebody, and access into something that you feel like you're on the outside of. That's why the gospel speaks so powerfully to our hearts, because every heart is wired for those three things, approval, acceptance, and access. How do we give ourselves that? Well, here's bad news, but good news. Ready? Just like you you can't give yourself faith, you cannot give yourself righteousness. You can't make yourself right. I don't care how good you've lived. I don't care how well-behaved you are. The Bible makes it clear that our righteousness is a filthy rag. It does not measure up. You cannot give yourself righteousness. There's the bad news, but here's the good news. Jesus Christ, this is the heart of the gospel, was perfectly righteous in your place. You and I sin. We fail. We don't pray. We don't have faith. Jesus never failed. He was our righteous substitute. And so when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, what it means is that his performance record, his resume, his, his behavior, is, his standing is now given, the term is imputed righteousness. We get his righteousness. So when the Father looks at you and I, he looks at us as if we lived the life Jesus lived. So because of Jesus, because we're under his righteousness, we have approval, acceptance, and access to the Father. And we can approach in prayer with boldness to the throne of God Not in our strength and not in my name, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's it's, it's a good idea to finish your prayers. You don't have to do this, but this is why we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. That's not just something we say out of habit. That, That is everything that prayer hinges on. If you don't approach the Father in Jesus' name, you cannot approach the Father. You know, when you go to a wedding and you're at a reception and you're kind of milling around, and usually at most weddings, you don't know everybody there. And it's interesting because at weddings, the way we introduce ourselves to each other is different than just about anywhere else. Because at weddings, we introduce ourselves almost always based on our relationship with the bride or the groom, right? Oh, hi, my name is David. I'm a cousin of the bride. 
oh, my name is David. I was a college roommate of the groom. And what are we doing when we say that? We're validating the reason. We're, we're giving a reason why we can be there. We're validating. We're justifying that, 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 aunt, that appetizer plate of cheese and meats that we're carrying around. Like, this is why I have access to this food is because I am the uncle of the groom or the bride, right? And, 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 and it, when we come before God in prayer and we say, God, I come before you in Jesus' name, that's what we're saying. The, the reason I have access the thing that validates me to come before you in prayer is because of my relationship with your son. And he speaks for me. And he covers me. And what he did is enough for me. And, and how good is it to know that as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to manufacture your own righteousness. Some of you have tried. You come out of faith traditions that are heavy on guilt and heavy on behavior. And you've tried so hard to be good enough. How exhausting. How exhausting. And how, how wearisome to never know if you've done enough. But the heart of the gospel is that Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You couldn't give yourself righteousness, but Jesus gave you righteousness. You couldn't give yourself the faith to believe in his righteousness, but God gave you that faith. And what makes us powerful prayers is that from beginning to end, it's God's work. It's his work. He gives us the faith to pray. He opens our eyes to see needs. And he gives us through his son the righteous standing we need to come before him and say, God, hear my prayer. This is what I need. In the weeks and months to come, whatever comes our way, these truths don't change. If we have to stay in our homes, if we have to buckle down for a while, you'll, if you lose access to your workplace and access to schools and access to church, you'll never lose access to the Father because it's not dependent on what's happening in our world. It's dependent on what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross that will never change and is sufficient and, and sure for all who believe. Amen. Let's pray.